Well, even though it's the day after Christmas, a Merry Christmas to you. While I know there are some who find it painful and challenging this time of year, I trust that most of you had a wonderful time of celebration with loved ones over the past few days. We had a really simple Christmas dinner with my dad, who returned from Myanmar not too long ago. And you know it's in times like these that we should really stop and realize how precious these gatherings are. Especially all that's gone on in the past two years and everything that's going on around the world. Well, in any case, it is my joy to be here today and to be invited by Matt and the, the church leadership to speak again. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Boaz. It was back in August when I preached my first sermon here. And while I'm thrilled to be able to speak again, I'll never forget what my father-in-law, who's a pastor in Malaysia, once told me. He said to me after I preached my first ever sermon at Manafort Heights Baptist Church, that if they should ever invite you back again, remember it's either one of two things. It's either that you preach really well and that they would love to have you back again, or you preach terribly, but they're still willing to give you a second chance. Well, second chance or not, it is a huge honor and privilege for me to be here to be able to preach the Word of God. I'm just wondering, how many of you love the sight of weeds? No, you love the sight of overgrown weeds, like tall ones and, and short, flat ones, maybe big, thin, skinny, thorny ones. Like you, you just get excited whenever you see weeds on your nature strip or how they just fill your backyard or how you go on your morning walk and you see weeds on the ground and you just have to pull out your phone to get a selfie with it. Now, not only do you think about weeds during the day, you think about weeds at night before you go to bed. Your passion for weeds drives you down to Bunnings to get a bag of fertilizer, allowing you to pump my nitrogen into it, allowing it growing bigger and stronger. Uh, right now, most of you are probably thinking that Matt has made a huge mistake giving me a second chance. <laughs> well, I think it's safe to say that most of us will love to have nothing to do with weeds. The less the better. Because they invade our, our beautiful gardens. They leech off the ground's nutrients. They, they're simply a nuisance. And yet for many of us, there are weeds in our lives. And I don't just mean that literally. There are things that creep into our lives that slowly grows into an infestation. They're not the prettiest things to look at. And in fact, sometimes they suck the life out of us. Today I want to explore what some of these things are by looking at the aftermath of David's infamous story with Bathsheba. Last week, Matt spoke about David's sinful affair with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. And in trying to cover up his mess in what was an abuse of power, David actually makes things worse when he sends Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to his death at the front of the battle line. That brings in Nathan, the prophet, to con confront David of the wrong. And after David confesses his sin, Nathan tells David that God has forgiven him. 
but there were consequences to suffer. Consequences that not only affected him, but consequences that also impacted his children later on. For example, in chapter 13, we read of Amnon, David's oldest son, and how he is so obsessed with his half-sister Tamar. His desire for her becomes so unhealthy that Scripture tells us that he makes himself ill. And so after some very unhelpful advice, Amnon schemes to rape Tamar. It's a tragic story that just ripples out and affects so many people. People like Absalom, Tamar's brother. Absalom harbors so much hatred for Amnon that even after two years, he also schemes to murder Amnon. Now fast forward two chapters and we find Absalom conspiring to overthrow David. And out of fear, David abandons the throne and flees for his life. It's all so very messy. And it all stems back to David's sin with Bathsheba. I don't know if you can relate to David and how life, your, your life right now is just incredibly messy. Perhaps you're trying to resolve some family tension to find out that not only has your cat died, but the project that you've been working on for the past two years has been called off because of COVID. Or how your finances are simply out of control and you just realize that you spent way too much for the, during the Christmas and Boxing Day sales. Or how rather than packing for a weekend getaway, you're rushing to the hospital. Whether you're in a season where life is incredibly messy or not, here are three lessons that we can draw from David's messy mistake in 2 Samuel. Three things about the result of David's sin with Bathsheba. And to help us picture these observations, I've outlined these things in the imagery of a weed that germinates and grows and blossoms. So if you're taking notes, the first observation we can make is that a fall to sin germinates a seed with looming consequences. A fall to sin germinates a seed with looming consequences. David's sin with Bathsheba was the start of trouble, both immediately and later in the future. We read from the narrative that, that Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, he loses his life as a result of David's mistake. But we also learn in the, in the narrative that the illegitimate son also dies as a result. But consider what else David compromised. David compromised his innocence before God. He compromised his purity as a righteous man. He compromised his integrity as a godly leader. All these things suffered because of David's fall to sin. And of course, there were looming consequences later on with his children that brought David so much grief. I remember as a little kid in Singapore, maybe as a four or five-year-old, mom would give us a few coins to spend at the school canteen. It was wonderful of her to do that, but I noticed that she kept her stash of coins in this small rectangular tin. It might, 
it might have been um, those strepsils, tin can, for those of you who remember. Anyway, one day I decided I wasn't getting enough money. So, when mum wasn't around, I got my hands on that tin can and just helped myself to a few extra coins. For those of you who are regular at One Hope, you're probably thinking, what is this criminal still doing on the worship team? Great question. Moving on, after spending those few extra coins, you can probably imagine what happened next. The fall to stealing in my little heart germinated into a streak of sneaking to mom's tin can time and time again that ended in much-needed consequences. Don't fool yourself. A fall to sin doesn't simply go away. My little self all those years ago was not going to suddenly come good. It was not in my human nature to suddenly come good. It just took one sinful act of stealing that germinated a desire for more. And maybe some of you find yourselves in this position where you've either knowingly or unknowingly done something that just isn't right. Maybe you've been taking shortcuts at somebody else's expense. Or you've, you've crashed into somebody else's car at the shops to quickly look around to see if anyone saw you do it. Maybe you're flirting with a married colleague. Or you're flicking through pages of explicit material. While the consequences of our sins might not immediately surface, you can be sure that the seed of that fall has germinated beneath the surface. It's begun to grow in the darkness. A fall to sin germinates a seed with looming consequences. And secondly, the second observation we can make is that an undealt sin deepens its roots with self-serving hunger. An undealt sin deepens its roots self-serving hunger. Look at Amnon's lust for Tamar. We read in chapter 13 that in the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with, his, with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. And as we read on, this, obses this obsession with Tamar drives Amnon to conspire a wicked plan to rape her. It's a heartbreaking episode. But it outlines the dangers of undealt sin. More than just the action of adultery, Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 5, 28, that even by looking at someone lustfully or, or, or desiring after someone with lustful intentions, lustful cravings, it is, it is like you've already committed adultery. The world would just have us believe that explicit imagery is harmless. You're not doing anything wrong. What's the harm? You haven't really done anything. But Jesus plainly states, 
that even if you lustfully desire after someone who isn't your spouse, it is adultery, it is sin. And yet we wonder why many of us don't have the same in intimacy that we do with our spouse that we, didn't, that we had a long time ago. Or why, for that matter, we don't see people the same way that Jesus sees people. We just fill our minds with thoughts and fantasies and perceptions that continue to pollute and corrupt our hearts. Because Amnon didn't deal with his lust for Tamar, because he didn't deal with his lustful desire for her, the sin continued to grow, growing as its roots deepen. Roots that look for more. Roots that look to serve one purpose, and one purpose only, itself. It's like any living thing in this world. It seeks to survive and, and grow wherever it finds itself. Like how COVID has learned to, to adapt and mutate into all these variants. God tells us in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, that sin is like an animal, a predator. It crouches at your door, waiting for a chance to pounce and feed on its prey. You can picture a lion out in the field, stalking its prey, it waits patiently, silently. It crouches and is primed to attack so that it can feed and survive. Sin looks to survive. It crouches at your door. It, it, it looks for an opportunity in your life. Give it a chance to germinate, and not only will it cling on to it, it will strive to grow if we do not deal with it. Maybe you started by telling a little white lie at work. No one could, could know if you, got, if you were telling the truth or not, but you got away with it. And soon you find yourself skipping past another mistake that was actually your fault. But you managed to, to squirm yourself out of it with another, with another clever twisting of the facts. And not long after, you, you see yourself dropping lie after lie, trying to cover your bases to a point where now you're living on the edge, making sure that this house of lies doesn't come crumbling down. Or maybe you, you find yourself addicted to something. It started off innocently, maybe a, a brief glance at an image or a little sip of the bottle or the thrill of what money can get you. Whatever it is, what started off innocently enough for you has now begun a little bit of a repetition in your life to the point where now you realize that it's developed into something significant in your life. Something so significant that it's got a hold on you. A hold that you cannot let go of. It's because every time we allow this addiction to play out, its roots deepen. It deepens and grips us. And ironically, drains us as it grows bigger and stronger. Like an animal, crouching at the door of your heart is sin, waiting to feed so that it can fuel itself. An undealt sin 
deepens its roots of self-serving hunger. And finally, the third observation we can make is that a weed of sin blooms with seeds of chaos. A weed of sin blooms with seeds of chaos. After David's sin with Bathsheba, his life is filled with chaos. We saw how Amnon rapes Tamar. And then out of revenge, Absalom murders Amnon. And now here in chapter 15, Absalom causes David to abandon his throne, to to flee for his life. Verse 1 reads, In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and 50 men to run ahead of him. It's something that the the prophet Samuel said that the Israelite kings would do. Verse 2, He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision came, Absalom would call out to him, What town are you from? He would answer, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. But if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone with a complaint or case would come to me. And I would see that they received justice. As the story continues, Absalom appears to have won the people of Israel over. And so when news of his popularity reached David's ears, verse 14 tells us how he responds. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us. There's other desperation here. You get a sense of urgency, a panic even. But remember, it's not just this one issue with Absalom that causes David to abandon the throne. It's been disaster after disaster, one calamity after another. His, his family It's been in a complete mess. Children conspiring against each other. Now his son conspiring against him. And so here David can cling on to the only one thing he still had, his life. And this all stems back to David's sin with Bathsheba. The consequences of that fall seize the seeds of chaos scattered in David's life. Back in my formative years when I was figuring out how far I could push things, I was caught up in all sorts of sin. By God's grace, He kept me from taking it too far. But at that time, God had no real part in my life. And I rationalized that I was fine. And now as I reflect... I recognize how messy everything was. It's because I was so caught up in my own wants, my my own desires. I was rude to people. I was so arrogant. It was like the whole world revolved around me. I was always stressed and and just easily agitated. And every morning when I, I woke up, there would be regret. Like, I would actually hate 
Every morning, my eyes open. Quite frankly, there was a lot of pain. Not, not physical pain, but emotional and, and, and mental pain. But today, as I think about it, it's, it's clear that it all stemmed back to f- how I had pushed God aside. I'd, it was all about my desires, all about what I wanted to do. They were my priorities. For a long time, I made sure that God had no real active part in my life. Like He might have my Sunday mornings at church, but the rest of the week belonged to me. It belonged to what I wanted to do. Maybe some of you find yourselves in situations where there's just uncontrollable chaos around you. Like one calamity after another. Frustration after frustration. Your, the business relationships you have. The loyal, loyal uh, customers and your, your, your employees that will go the distance with you. They've all just deserted you. Because you started to prioritize money over principles. Perhaps the people who are most precious to you are now so distant and want nothing to do with you because, if we're going to be honest, you've been consumed with someone, something else. And now everything is just so messy because of that mistake. Or could it be that you are on edge and restless at night because you've been trying so hard to make it on your own, to make it without God? A weed of sin blooms with seeds of chaos. So what are we going to do about this? What are some things we can do to address the issue of sin in our lives? Well, in the time that we have, I'd love to suggest two things. Two things that we have to recognize that we cannot do on our own, but two things that require God's hand in our lives. So the first thing we can do is that with the Spirit's help, identify and uproot the weeds of sin. With the Spirit's help, identify and uproot the weeds of sin. Let's face it, we are sinful by nature. As long as we still have breath in our lungs, we carry with us this sinful nature. We cannot please God on our own. We need His help. Help not only to do the right thing, but help to to identify and recognize the things in our lives that are wrong. David recognizes this when he writes in, in Psalms 139, verse 23 and 24. He says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me to the way everlasting. If you want your life, to not only be weed-free, but in step with what God wants to do through you. Ask Him to search you. Search the deepest recesses of your heart. Ask Him to search your deepest motives. Ask Him to reveal any offensive way in you. Ask Him to show, ask Him to reveal the things in your life that are wrong, that you just cannot see sometimes the wrong that you don't want to see. 
And while it's important that we identify the things that are wrong, it's no good if we just leave it there or just sweep it under the rug. Like weeds, if you just mow over it, they'll just grow back again. They'll just come back. No, we need to treat them. Or in this case, we need to uproot them. Jesus spoke about the issue of adultery and how if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, I don't think Jesus meant that literally. Otherwise, one hope would be filled with a whole lot of people with just one eye or none at all. No, Jesus didn't mean that literally. Jesus meant that as an illustration. An illustration to emphasize the severity of how sin must be dealt with. If you're struggling with a particular sin in your life and you know what it is, sever it. Cut it out from your life. If it is pornography, sever opportunities that you know trigger it. If it is an inappropriate relationship or a fantasy or a desire, do everything that you can to remove yourself from it. If that means changing departments at work, change departments. If, if it means unfriending someone on Facebook or Instagram or, or social media, I'll tell you a secret. It's okay to unfriend someone, especially if they're going to cause you to stumble. If it means physically turning and looking the other way, when someone that passes by who you think you might last over comes, turn and look the other way. Because Jesus continues in the verse, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. In other words, Jesus is saying it's better for you to lose that one inappropriate relationship or, or benefit than for your whole life to be destroyed. It's better for you to lose that promotion or your pride or, or your popularity among people than for your marriage or integrity to be ruined. With the Spirit's help, identify and uproot the weeds of sin. And secondly, with the Messiah's victory, cultivate life and fruit that blesses others. I cannot stress this enough. You cannot overcome the power of sin in your life without Christ. But because He came 2,000 years ago, the reason we celebrate Christmas, He came as a man and lived a perfect and sinless life, died on the cross and rose again. He stands victorious over sin and death. While the devil might come to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus comes and says that through Him, anyone who will believe in Him will have life and life to the full. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that thanks be to God because He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to give us life and life to the full. He's saying that while there's life that will be made perfect in the new heaven and the new earth, today you can live a life free from the strangle of sin. You can live a life that blesses others. 
if I can use myself as an illustration, my life is far from perfect. I haven't got it all figured out. There's so many insecurities and, and uncertainties in my life that scare me. But in comparison to where I was all those years ago, when my life was a huge mess, God has not only removed the weeds of sin in my life, but He's just blessed me in so many ways. Sue Ann and I, we are, we're hardly swimming in material abundance, but we recognize that we're just we're surrounded by God's amazing hand of guidance and provision. We don't have much, but He has provided us with what we need so that we can give what we have. Through Him, He's allowed me to be used in ways beyond my wildest dreams. I would have never dreamed of doing this. It's beyond anything I could have thought of. But I pray that this life will continue to be a blessing to people because it's not mine to hoard. Just as how Jesus came 2,000 years ago to give His life away, so too are you called. To surrender your life. Jesus calls you to give your life to Him. Weeds and all, in every mess that you can find yourself in, if you're caught up in something, through Christ, you can be released from His grip. If, if, if things are just falling apart around you, and everything's broken, and you're just tired, Jesus says to you, come to me. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He calls you right now to reach out. Even if, to, if it's to say, God, I'm seriously so lost. I don't know what to do. I don't even know where to start. But God, I know that I just need your help. Start there. He wants to do a new work in you, through you, to change your life like never before. We began today by asking, who loves the sight of overgrown weeds? But as we close, Jesus asks you, how would you like to live a life that produces flowers and fruit and greenery instead? Rather one that is ruined by weeds that drain life. How would you like to live a life that produces fruit that blesses others? A life that is secure enough that allows people to grow beyond you. A life that, that gives, that, allows, that sees you to give to others more than you've ever done in the past. A life that is just filled with peace, allowing you to sleep at night, even as the waves of life crash around you. If this is the life that you desperately want, Jesus calls out to you right now to give yourself to Him. Let His victory on the cross prevail over the strangle of sin in your life as you become beautiful sons and daughters of God. So Father, I pray to everyone listening to this right now, Lord God, 
I pray for everyone struggling with sin, everyone who just needs, needs help, needs hope. Father, I pray that wherever they are, that you just meet them right there and then. If it is something that they've been struggling with for a long time, in the name of Jesus, we claim victory because you, Lord God, have claimed victory on the cross by overcoming the power of sin and death. Father, wherever we are, if we have not received Christ in our life, right now, we receive you into our lives. We say, Jesus, you are Lord over my life. I receive you as my God. Take me, Lord God, as your own, because I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen.